Welcome everybody to the Brian Piergrossi podcast. That's me, Brian Piergrossi, and I'm really excited to have my guest joining us from Maui today. I was going to ask you how you, is it Paul Selig or Selig? Selig. Paul Selig. Yeah. So great mm -hmm. to have you, Paul. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Aloha. Aloha. And, um, you know, I first came across you on Aubrey Marcus's podcast uh -huh. um, I listened to you on there. I was just very impressed with what you're sharing. And you were talking about um, moving beyond the known, mm -hmm. right? I know that's the title of multiple books you have, Moving Beyond the Known. Mm -hmm. And I was just very impressed with um, the way you were articulating, communicating this way of living beyond the known. Uh -huh. um, so I guess I want to explore what exactly that means. What, what, why is it important and why is it valuable? Well, I mean, it's, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a channel, so I take dictation. Mm -hmm. The books that mm -hmm. I that come through me, I don't write them. I sit in a chair, I close my eyes. I hear this voice. I repeat what I hear. And the books are the unedited transcripts of those sessions. You know, they're, the ninth one is coming out, you know, this summer. Um, and this is their teaching. So the best that I can do is try to translate what I think they're talking about, you know, when they talk about moving beyond the known. But the guides say, you know, that the personality structure, which is who we think we are, operates through history and the mandates of history, what it means to be a man or a woman or, you know, what is worthy, what is not, you know, it's basically a litany of an inherited ideas and structures. And the guides talk about moving beyond the known to a level of, of awareness where we're no longer bound by those things in the ways that we have been. In other words, the guides often say, you know, you can only claim what you believe to be possible. You're always pulling off of the list that you've inherited about what it means to be or what we think we should have or want. And so the idea of moving beyond the known is actually about sort of moving beyond an inherited structure or template. And the guides say that humanity is in the process of doing this now on a sort of a large scale, and it's not a comfortable transition. But, um, you know, the way that we've been doing things, which, as I understand it, have been extraordinarily, extraordinarily enmeshed in this idea of separation, you know, mm -hmm. separation from one another, separation from what they would call God or source. Um, we've really gotten to a point where we have to claim another way of being in the world and being with one another and beyond the known they're really speaking to a level of consciousness you know that exists beyond what we've known so here's an example the guides say that we're living in an octave of vibration and tone they say everything that we see is existing within this octave of highs and lows and that like any song any piece of music or any note can be played in a higher octave. They're trying or supporting us. I don't know if they're trying to, to lift to a new level of awareness beyond what we've been operating through, where the choices are somewhat different and we're not operating under this mandate of fear, which they say mm -hmm. we have inherited, you know, and we operate, it's like being born into a pool that somebody already peed in, you know, here's the pool, here's the fear, and we're used to and we learn through it and things can be learned through it but i understand that there are higher and better ways to learn and let's talk about who are the guides you know the only reason they're called the guides is because 
when I was in my late 40s, I was seeing somebody and I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to talk about what I did. And when I when I finally explained what I did, suddenly, you know, there was a captive psychic in the house. And I kept hearing, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. That's why they're called the guides. But the guides are teachers, you know, and um, the name that they use, when they use a name, they say, if you wish to call us something, you can call us Melchizedek, which is an old name, and it's a priesthood or a lineage. Um, they're not so caught up in the names. And I think we get caught up in the names because we like to invest importance in things. You always hear people saying, well, I'm the channel for, you know, pick an archangel, pick a saint, you know. I think that's better than, you know, probably if I were to be channeling my my late grandmother, who was kind of nuts, I'd rather not talk to her and dictate books through her. God bless her. But um, the guides are teachers, you know, and they're here to help us. And, you know, they describe themselves in different ways. My favorite has been we are who you become when you know who you are. So they're the true self or the mm. divine self. The divine self in incarnate, they say, is the expression of the monad or the Christ or whatever you want to call it, the divine spark and expression. And how did you come in contact with these guys? Was this something that you put a lot of effort and researching? Well, well, <laughs> you're shaking your head. Or is it something that was more effortless? Teacher. It wasn't that it was effortless. You know, I mean, it's a longer story than you may have time for, but I was, you know, 25. I had a, just gotten out of Yale. This is Maui. There are roosters in the background. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, you know, I was also a terrible drunk, you know, and was, you know, readily getting addicted to anything else that I could find. And everybody that I knew was dying of AIDS. It was a real train wreck of a time, you know, for me, it was 1987. And I actually started to pray for the first time. I was an atheist. I've been raised nothing. You know, my father was a Holocaust survivor. My mother was abused by her minister. Neither one of them had any religion to tell me about. They were both completely disenfranchised. And, um, you know, but I began to pray and I actually had an answer, which surprised me. It was the first voice I heard telling me to get my act together when I asked what I could do for myself that was positive. I heard something and I acted on it and my life changed. I started opening up psychically and spiritually at the same time, which was unexpected. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was nothing that I really ever thought I would want or be interested in. And um, I ended up studying a form of energy healing to get a context for the experiences I was starting to have. And I was opening up as a clairsentient. I could begin to feel energy. I mean, things were happening. And when I studied, I was invited out of the blue to volunteer at a center for people who were, you know, dying of life threatening illnesses or living with them. It was a place called the Manhattan Center for Living. It was in Manhattan. It was a pop-up. And primarily it was people who were living with AIDS. And those were the days when people died very quickly. And so I would show up and do my energy healing that I would study and hoping, hoping it would help in some way or at least provide some comfort. But I found that when I had my hands on people, I started to hear things for them. So if I had my hand on your chest, and all of a sudden, the name Allison came into my head. I would say, who's Allison? You might say, my girlfriend, my mother, you know, the girl who broke my heart, whatever it was, you know. And as I kept getting confirmation for the information that I was receiving, I began to trust it more. I, I describe myself as a radio. I work like a radio. 
And if I'm reading for somebody or working with somebody individually, that person would be the station that I'm tuned into when I'm channeling, I'm playing the station that my guides operate through. And my job really is to maintain the station. But I started a group that met in my apartment right around that time. And I had that group that met in my apartment for 18 years while I had another life as a college teacher and academic administrator. I wasn't looking to be known for this. It wasn't until the guides I worked with started, you know, dictating whole books through me that I was sort of outed by the fact that I had books in print and I couldn't pretend this wasn't happening anymore. I think if that hadn't happened, I'd probably still be teaching college. And I quite loved that. You know, it wasn't that I was looking for something other. So, you know, there was a point when I was in my late 40s when I quit cigarette smoking, when I was a four pack a day guy, when I quit smoking, that's when everything changed. My system opened up enormously. I don't know how much I'd been limiting it. And that's when the guide started to lecture through me. And as soon as I became willing to transcribe that, that's when the book started coming. Well, you asked, the last thing you just said is really interesting to me. When you quit smoking, you became a, a more pure channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so to what degree do you feel like the physical body itself um, needs to be purified in some way to be a, a channel? And the way you were describing it, I, I was visualizing like a radio dial and you're like mm-hmm. kind of finding that, that mm-hmm. oh, that's the clear spot right there. And you, you learn through trial and error where that spot is, it sounds you like. learn, yeah, it's discernment. You know, just mm-hmm. because somebody hears something doesn't necessarily mean it's something worth listening to. Yeah. You know, I think people right. get very excited. I heard a voice, you know, if the voice is telling you to kill your grandparents or the voice is right. telling you, you know, do anything self-destructive or fear-based, don't listen to it. That's low-level stuff. It's not yeah. worthy. Um, not necessary, and, and it's not sort of good hygiene to do that. I opened up psychically when I quit drinking. That's how that started. I was shocked, but I was sensitive, and I was trying to numb the sensitivity. And then years later, and I still smoked like a chimney, and when I quit that, suddenly I opened up more. Literally, I started to notice the details on, I could see the architecture of buildings and the stonework and the the grout. I mean, I was amazed at how much more detail there was in the world. I've been living in a fog, in a cloud. And I didn't realize that, again, I was creating a buffer between myself and source and also myself and my own sensitivity. I'm highly empathic. It's a freaky thing. If you ask me to tune into your mother and you give me her name, I might start to resemble her. I mean, that's how I work when I work as a medium. If she's a living, I'm a medium for the living. You know, but I still have issues with sugar and food. I'll still use things that I want to buffer myself. And would I be even more effective? Possibly. I won't know that till it happens. You know, I've channeled when I've been super skinny. Um, It doesn't feel that different, but I know that if I have a piece of chocolate cake the night before I channel, I'm not going to be as good the next day. You know, it's a drug Mm -hmm. for me. You know, I check, Mm -hmm. I check out of my body. I'm not going to be nearly as effective in what I do. Mm -hmm. And is there a, a particular process that you move through to bring in the guides and to have them come through you? Not really anymore. It's so, it's as simple as tuning the station of a radio. Yeah. You know, it's just the, the, the frequency and the, the station is always there. You're just not playing it. We're always playing our consciousness. 
what I found that I can do is tune into somebody else's, either at the level of personality or at the level of what you might call their high self or their soul and hear different levels of information for them that they can generally, you know, confirm. I mean, thank God, you know, it, it can be confirmed. But I don't do a whole process. I have friends that I think are wonderful that I go to for readings and they sit in meditation for half an hour and they've got this whole process. Works beautifully for them. I just turn the channel. Um, Sometimes I do work though, and this might be important. I work with a prayer protection before I channel. And I do that just because it sets a field that I like to work in. And it sort of also encourages me not to pick up on the low level stuff. I've set an intention that I'm only open to the higher. And I use that little prayer to recede. And this is particularly for channeling. I let my consciousness recede. Sometimes I imagine myself climbing into the backseat of a car and turning the wheel over to the guides. Um, when I'm reading for somebody psychically, I might be sharing the front seat with the guides. I can, I can go in and out pretty quickly. When I'm channeling either a workshop or a live stream or a book, I climb into the back seat and, you know, sometimes, you know, the guides will say, go read a magazine, you know, stay up, basically stay out. But I'm present enough for what's happening. I'm a conscious channel that if I hear something that I would object to or would make no sense to me or would challenge me too much, I lean over to the front seat and I ask for an explanation. And then they generally take it up because they have to, because I'm the channel. Once in a while, they say, you know, Paul has a question, we'll take it later. Thank you, no. But then they will take it later. They don't, you know, just sort of shut me up, but they're there to deliver their teaching. And I found from other people who, because these questions, my questions wind up in the books and certainly in, you know, the lectures and the live streams I do, people are often helped by that and I'm grateful for it. But, you know, if the guide said to me, you know, and, you know, here, we're here to tell you that the moon is made of green cheese, I'd go, what the is that, you know, and then they would have to explain themselves. Fortunately, that hasn't happened yet, but there have been a number of things that I've contested and the explanations have been hugely helpful. So it's kind of like a conversation that's happening uh, that you're engaged in at times. I mean, if you want to, you know, they're teachers. So sometimes I think of them as sitting in the chair teaching and I'm the student in the front row with all the other students because I'm a student of this work. I am not a spiritual teacher. It's the last thing I want to be. I got enough problems without that. But I am in the front row and I'm going, hey, wait a minute. And then I get called on. That's, you know, when the guides when I'm doing a public situation, you know, and the guides call on people with their questions, they're the, they're asking the questions, but in the books or in the lectures, I'm the only one who really gets to interrupt. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're not officially, <clears throat> officially channeling, do you still feel like you're guided by the guides, if that makes sense? It's a question. It's a valid question. Yes and no. I mean, they don't, they don't supersede free will. They respect free will. So I've often used the example, if I want to walk into oncoming traffic, I can do that. They're not going to stop me. If I say, is this a good time to cross the street? They may say, not wise, which still means that it's my choice. And if I want to get hit by a truck, I can do it. You know, that's my business. Um, so I feel more so than I have, I think, in this last strange time in the world that I've had real intervention from them. You know, I, um, 
they're saying, say, you know, I was told maybe a year ago, it was like the end of this shit was going to hit the fan in New York, you know, and I just said, please just help me not be here and let me be someplace pretty <laughs> when it happens. And I was in Costa Rica, you know, doing a workshop when New York shut down and ended up being coming to Maui because I couldn't go home. There wasn't a time to fly and to do anything. And, um, and I've been here since, and I'm creating a very different life for myself here that I'm very grateful for. And all of this feels like there was another hand in it. Is that the guides? I don't know. But do they help me? What they're very useful for with me in my practical life outside of the work we do together is not making choices based in fear. So, because they say the action of fear is to claim more fear. And if you look at every choice you make in fear, it's going to get you more of the same or it already has. Just check your own life. So that's helpful. I get called on for that. I can get called on for counsel, but they don't tell me the lucky numbers. They don't tell me when I'm going to meet a partner or if I'm going to meet a partner. You know, I don't get that stuff. You know, I, most of the psychics that I know and the channels that I am friends with, most of us call each other for these things, because if I'm invested in the outcome of a question, I'm not going to be the best reader for myself. I can be neutral for you much more so than I can be for myself if I have a query about my life. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, my, my sense of my limited interaction with you is that you operate very much from what you call like intuition uh, from presence and from the moment and, and not so much from you know, kind of, I don't know, like mind. Uh, it's very much kind of just feeling what's, what's the right direction and kind of moving with that direction. Well, in my life or, you know, in my life, I try, you know, I'm a mm -hmm. shy person, you know, mm -hmm. I feel I'm better than I was, but like, I, I'm not a bad host, but I'm a rotten guest. You know, if you invite me to a party, I'll stand in the corner you know, I have, I have work to do. So is that my high intuition? I don't know. That's also my, my stuff. Um, when I'm channeling, I'm literally taking dictation. It's stenography. It's what it is. When people say, I want to be a channel, I go, why do you want to do this? I mean, I'm grateful for it. I find it fascinating, but truthfully, it's stenography. You know, the court stenographer, you don't even remember what the stenographer looks like at the end of it. You just want the transcript. And I'm not meaning to undermine my role in what I do, but that's my job with this. And my intuitive self is very present when I read. The difference between channeling and reading, and reading means more psychic, is that if I'm channeling, I'm taking dictation and there's no interpretation. I don't get to go back and fix anything. So I don't get to go back over the transcripts and say, oh, that terrible word, we can't use that word there. The only word that might get corrected is if I mispronounced it. Um, once in the last book that came out, the guides were using a word in a lecture. I didn't want to say it because I didn't believe it was a word. I'd never heard it before. And um, God, I don't remember what the word is. I'm blanking on it. It's in the book. As soon as the lecture was the, as soon as the lecture was over, the guide said, "Paul's refusing to say a word. It's good, you know, put it in the book anyway." And we looked off the book. It was a real word. It was the perfect yeah. penumbra. That was the word. I didn't uh -huh. know what penumbra, which is the light that shines from behind the cloud. So that ended up a footnote. The word was penumbra. You know, but that's it. But when I'm reading, I'm getting accessing physical information through my own body. You know, I'm, you know, seeing information clear, clairvoyantly. I mean, 
Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm hearing, but I may be hearing you. And the guides will come in for commentary. You know, when people say, "Ask your guides what I should be doing for a living," I don't think the guides care. I don't think that's their work. It's up to us to choose those things. But I may be able to hear at a level your higher self about what your path might be and what you may be requiring. So interpretation is the different and is that intuition i suppose you could call it that i i call it knowing you know it's clear cognizance which is a, a skill set you know there are things that when i work i know that i don't know myself it doesn't make any i, I would have no way to and that's why you know what i do can be valuable for some people perhaps mm -hmm. not for everybody and is channeling something that you feel anybody can do anybody can have access to anybody, you know, I guess, is it possible? And then if it is possible, the how question, which I know is a tricky question, but let's put it out there. I didn't, I'm somebody that didn't even necessarily believe in channeling myself. Mm -hmm. I, ro I roll my eyes at a fair amount of it. I'm not a very good new ager. Um, and I never have been, you know, that's just not who I am. I, 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 I approached all of this with some healthy skepticism and if I hadn't begun having experiences myself that led me forward, I wouldn't have pursued this. I wasn't looking to do this. This wasn't a career I was expecting to have. It's something that evolved and happened once I was willing to get out of my own living room, you know, and I stayed there for 18 years, but I was also in retrospect in an apprenticeship. I was being trained by the guides to do the work that I do now. And even the other work that I did in my life, you know, teaching college, there are skills that I learned about how to sit in front of people and how to, you know, to, to know when someone was in trouble and things that were things that are still useful. So I feel that I was being prepared and it took me a long time. We live in a culture now where somebody wants to watch three YouTube videos and put up a shingle at times. And I think there are people that show up with innate gifts and they, they show up like a, a rose that's just ready to flower and God bless them. You know, that wasn't my process. Mine was a long process and it's ongoing. I don't feel that I've ascended. I don't feel that I've become enlightened. I show up for the work that I do with the integrity that I can have and, and try to be clean in what I do and clear in what I express. Do I think everybody has the availability to access their own psychic and spiritual gifts? Yes, I do. I think that that's an innate, intrinsic part of who we all are that mostly has been shut off because we've been told not to give it credence or that such things can't be true. I feel that my system was sort of wired up for channeling. And there are things that I can do because I have the energetic system to do this. You know, I'm never going to be a professional athlete. I'm not six foot five. I'm not going to be a basketball player. You know, somebody who is that height is primed for their work. Perhaps I was developed in other lifetimes, which I actually think is true. And in this one for what I do now. So can anybody access information that's from non-local conscious? Yes. You know, conscious. Yes. I mean, I think so. People are training people to be mediums up right, left, and sideways. And some of them, I think, are doing very successful work. The guides I work with have never taught me how to teach channeling. And maybe one day they will. Um, I don't know. I think if I were to do that, I would probably have a, a big class. But 
uh, the guides that I work with are far more interested in people moving into their own inherent knowing, their own innate knowing. And I think that that's far more valuable than trying to get information from something outside the self. You know, I think when you know, you know, and that's clear cognizance, it's a very high gift. True knowing, clear knowing is clear cognizance. And, you know, the guides I work with say, when you're in your knowing, you're never afraid. And that's true. If you look at your own life, I know the relationship is over. That's not what's so scary. The, the, the fear may be, am I ever going to be with somebody again? Or am I, am I ever going to love as deeply again? You know, um, getting the medical diagnosis isn't what's scary is, am I going to make it? Or you will, will, will I manage the treatment, whatever that may be. So true knowing isn't fear. And when you're operating in your true knowing, I think you're really in touch with your divine self or your innate self, that aspect of you that knows. The guys that I work with say, you know, the true self knows and the personality self thinks. Nothing wrong with thinking. We all do it. But when you know, there's no question attached. When you think, there usually is. Mm -hmm. And so that ties into a question about the future. Um, is there a feeling like we can know the future? We can, we can know what's going to happen? Um, is it valuable to know what's going to happen? Is it important to know what's going to happen? It's a specific skill set. It's precognition. You know, I do some of it in my work, um, but it's not my practice. You know, people who come to me for a reading and say, who am I going to marry and when? I'm not the right guy for that, but I am the right guy if you're questioning the relationship, you know, because I can step into both you and the partner and find out what's really going on. Um, I believe in precognition. One of my, my best friends is a, a very successful precog, and that's a big part of her practice. And I admire how she works enormously. But I'm not a trained psychic. I developed in a, in a weird way on my own. And I might be able to develop that. Can things be known? Yes. But I think what can be known are potentials. Yeah. Basically, because we have choice, you know. Yeah. So um, I remember reading for somebody years ago. And I was seeing some guys. This person wanted to know if they were going to be in a relationship. And I was seeing some guy holding the New York Times with like a sunburst tattoo on his back. And later I heard from the client and they said, you're absolutely right. I, I met somebody who was an editor for the New York Times with a sunburst. And I said, that's great. Did I, do I know if that relationship lasted? I have no idea. Maybe it stank, but that's who I saw coming. You know, and I can do that kind of thing sometimes. But yes, it exists. People pick up on stuff all the time. You know, I mean, if you know, you've ever had the experience, I, I expect you have, of knowing who was on the other end of the phone when it rang. And that's because whoever that person is just jumped into your energetic field because they're thinking of you and they want to know if you're there. You know, that's why you feel them. Mm -hmm. We're doing this stuff all the time. Yeah. Something you said struck out to me, which is it feels like, I don't know if what terminology you would use, but like there's like a timeline that we're on and mm -hmm. then you can predict what's going to happen based on that timeline. But it seems to me it is possible someone could, have a shift in consciousness or open up in a different way that would change the trajectory that they're on. In other words, I don't, it seems to me that it's not like a absolute predetermined thing. Like yeah. you said, it's like, a, it's like a potentiality. If you stay on the same track or we stay on the same track, whoever we're looking at, this is what's mm -hmm. going to happen, but the track could shift based on shifting consciousness. That. That's what I believe. I believe, mm -hmm. I also believe in, you know, intervention, you know, I, 
when I was 25, you know, in my little atheistic self, you know, and I was a good kid, you know, I was just a kid who liked to party a lot. But what changed for me was I got to a place where I knew I couldn't fix a problem that I was having. I couldn't fix it. I didn't know what to do. I was worried that I was going to be in trouble for a long time. And I couldn't even name what the problem was. I just knew I was in trouble. And I was in this hotel room in St. Paul. It was the Gopher Campus Motor Lodge. And I was a playwright in those days. I was working on an opera there. And, you know, I was in a shitty hotel room and the, the Gideons leave these Bibles in the drawers. And I took it out and it said, prayer for people in crisis. And the only difference that night was I said, why not? Why not? I was in a crisis. Why not? And oddly enough, something happened. But I think the something happened was that I made the appeal or the request or I decided in my own way that my way wasn't going to get me the results I wanted anymore. And I think what I created was a space for spirit to show up. Maybe that's grandiose. I don't think so, because I think that that's true for any of us. You know, I think we have to ask. When people sometimes say, how do I start to channel? I hear ask. How do I know who my spirit guides are? Ask. You create the space. You can't force this into being. You know, it's not It's not that. It's, you hear about the sculptors who allow the the sculpture to be revealed from the marble. You know, it's a little bit more like that than deciding what it's going to be and how it's supposed to look and chiseling away. That's a use of will. And there are places for that. But I don't know that uh, that spiritual communication necessarily works in that way. And I would say for a fact that I don't think grace does, which is the presence of the divine upon our lives. Yeah, it feels like a huge part of this is asking and then being quiet, open, present, available to receive. That feels like that's a, a really yeah. big component of this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So the times we're in right now, there's seems like it's really divisive and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anxiety and anger and angst. And <laughs> that's what I'm picking up in the collective mm -hmm. right now. And mm -hmm. just wondering if there's any the guides have any advice on, on where we are right now or um, why we are where we are? You know, in the very first book that was dictated through me, which was dictated in 2009, it was called I Am the Word. The guides said, humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of the self in all of one's creations. And they, it's the only book where they spoke specifically, I think it's the only one where they, about the US, and they talked about the U.S. needing to change its sense of self from conqueror to a model of transition. We have to move to a new place of sort of of how we operate. I don't remember what the quote is. Somebody mm -hmm. else, people post those things from the books. But I was surprised because I just saw it up online recently. I said, well, that's interesting. They did say that then. Um, in the like the third or fourth book that they delivered, which was like the book of truth. I think it was the fourth book or fifth. They began to talk a lot about the times that we're in now. And if you go back and you look at the books, you'll see it. And they talked a lot about a collapse of structures, you know, political, economic, all this stuff as being transitional. Um, 
what they're talking about is great change. You know, we're in great change and how we treat one another through this, the dignity that we give each other. You know, the guides say, what you damn and who you damn damns you back. What you bless blesses you in return. There's great opportunity, I think, through these times for all of us, not just here, all, all the whole world, I think, is in, in transformation and has been. But I think how we attend to these times um, is, is going to be how well we survive them at a higher level. I sit back and I go, well, this is kind of what the guides talked about. And I'm sure there's positive outcome on the other side of, of this great change. But um, it sure doesn't look like it some days. I will say that, you know, and, um, you know, I think to, to learn discernment in these times is important and to stay in truth. And my guides say, what is true is always true. It's not a convenient truth. You know, what I want it to be or what I read on the internet must be so because I saw it there. I don't think any of that's what they're talking about. They're talking about something much deeper, which is the innate divinity that they say expresses as everyone and everything. You know, they say, and they've been saying this again and again and again for the last six months or so, almost in every lecture, they say that you, the only real problem humanity faces is what they call the denial of the divine, which is the denial of the oneness that is all things. They say, and this is the guide's teaching, you know, I just take, I just speak it into being. They say there's one note playing in the entire universe, and that one note is in articulation or manifestation is all things. There's the, it's the infrastructure of all realities. They would call that God. And it's the forgetting of that or the denying of that, the denial of the divine and the one I can't stand or those people over there or this situation that um, actually ends up exacerbating the very things we say we don't want. Things I hear don't change by fighting them. They change by transforming consciousness and by lifting them to a higher way of being through the recognition, the guides would say, of the inherent divine. It's a much bigger teaching that I can unpack here. And it's certainly not a teaching of spiritual bypassing or pretending things are fine. I hear we're all accountable for our acts, all of us. You know, um, if you broke it, you bought it. But that's not punishment, that's karma. And that's just basic. And karma is an opportunity to learn. That's all that is. It's not something to be terrified of. But I think what we have to become accountable to is this idea that we're protected or in some ways by our fear, that fear is our helper and fearing other people and what they do or how they, they live or any of those things is gonna help anybody. I don't know if things change. The action of fear I hear again and again and again is to create more fear. Every choice we make in fear gets us more of the same. And if we begin to do this culturally, that's something else. I will say, just to clarify something, that fear and discernment are two very different things, or fear and prudence. And prudence would be the ice is thin, best not to go skating on the ice. Um, there's a hurricane coming, best to put up the storm windows. That's discernment. That's not fear. That's prudence. Okay. It's, it's in, yeah, you're talking about this recognition of the one note, which is kind of a, you know, a timeless truth, but yet it's so, it's so easy to, so easy for us to lose track of that, to lose the awareness of it and get caught in the separations and the divisions. 
And it feels to me like where we are right now, um, our kind of media structure is a huge proponent of this because it really promotes these divisions and these separations. And mm-hmm. um, it seems like it's difficult to hone in to this truth that you're talking about and kind of, you know, ground in it and maintain it throughout the course of the day with all these other things being coming at us. Well, what I hear is, I mean, I think that there, there are variables here. You know, I hear what is true is always true. So it's true in this lifetime that you and I are operating in male bodies. You're living in one state. I'm living in another. That's true now. It's not always true that we're living in the states we're living in or that we look like we look or that we believe what we believe. These are things that are are transitional. And much of what we think would always be there because we inherited it because it's always there, be it a banking system or a political system or whatever, may not always be there. So we have to go to the truth that expresses beyond it. And this has nothing to do with the media. It means sort of going to to something perhaps a bit other, maybe more eternal. I'm not denying the media and its role in whatever, but I'm also not going to vilify because it doesn't serve anything. So the idea, if I can try to remember what I was going to say, um, how we sort of begin to work with the higher information, I don't think it's done through the old systems of, of fixing things, which, you know, we were so busy trying to get what we want that we don't even ask what wants to be instead, you know, what else might be. And that's back to the idea of beyond the known. You know, maybe there are other paradigms that are much higher. You know, I was doing a live stream yesterday and somebody said it was a question like, you know, what are we going to do when Elon Musk has all the money and somebody working in a factory? And, you know, the guide said, you know, it, it also starts with us individually, which is, you know, I mean, they've said it many times that go to your closet. What is it you haven't worn for a year or two years? And why haven't you given it to somebody who needs it? You know, the truth of the matter is, as I understand it, is that we are our brother's keeper. You know, that's the opportunity we have here, because to not do that is to be operating in separation and selfishness. So it's a big order. I'm not saying that I succeed at it. I understand what the guides teach, but I do think that they're lifting us or offering us a system to to shift consciousness if we want it. We can begin to have a different experience of being. Um, in the book of truth, the guide said, and this is, you know, before the last presidential election, they said, you know, we are about to enter a period where everything that was buried is exposed, you know, said, and it's not a bad thing. They said, imagine your backyard is under excavation and what was buried five weeks ago is coming up as is 5,000 years ago. And the purpose of that is not to shame it or to be terrorized by it, it's to bring it to the light so that it can be reseen. Nothing is transformed until it's seen. Nothing gets changed until we're willing to look at it. The guides have said, you know, if you bury a body in the basement, eventually it's going to stink up the whole house. So we're in a process now, I suspect, of, of exhumation, you know, and none of it's necessarily comfortable and pleasant. But the guides also say, you know, when a seed is about to sprout, the new growth is about to sprout, it disturbs the earth. You know, it's not graceful necessarily, you know, it's disruption. So 
I'm hoping for peace, truthfully, and um, and a higher awareness of, of who we all are. And I think everybody gets to choose. That's the good thing about free will. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that comes through, like any visions that come through or anything that you see as far as the other side of this, like what's what can come out that's a, a positive yeah. outcome? Well, the guides are, I mean, my, the guides I work with are teaching alchemy. They're teaching how to transpose matter through consciousness and how to lift to, uh, to, to the higher what's been sort of mired in fear. And they say this is happening. I don't know that it happens in my lifetime. I mean, it would be wonderful if it did. But I think we're in a, in a, in a, in a restructuring of reality in a large sense. I mean, worldwide, it's really, you know, we're all we've all been thrust into the unknown in a way that we've not had collectively before i think you know i have you know i'm living an extremely different life now than i i would have if you told me last february that i would have moved to an island in the middle of in the middle of the pacific i'm a lifelong new yorker i don't even drive i'm moving in the rainforest you know i'd go what the hell is this but it's what happened and I have to say, I'm grateful that it's happened and it's an opportunity. It seems like an upgrade to me, but that's just my personal. Yeah, preference. it is, but it's very different. I mean, I can, listen, I'm, a, I'm literally the guy that would call the deli for coffee in the morning. You know, yeah, yeah. now I'd have to walk hours to get to one. So <laughs> I have to learn to drive if I'm going to stay here. That's all. Uh-huh. Um. <sighs> Yeah, it just so it's kind of like just trusting the process, just trusting the process, this reckoning, facing what's coming up. These are yeah. things that are that are that have been hidden that haven't fully been dealt with, faced. So we're yeah. facing them, we're moving through them. And um, God, do you want to say something? No, yeah, just just what what I said earlier. You know, it's what the gods always say: what you damn, who you damn, damns you back. That's not like somebody's choosing to do that. It means that's the level of vibrational accord or co-resonance that you've come to. Mm-hmm. So the guides talk about lifting things to what they call to the upper room, which they say is a higher level of consciousness, and they teach people how to do it. They do it, you know, in every workshop they teach, and and it's quite potent. You can feel it. But the guides say you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil, which means you're aligned to him in low vibration. So you mm-hmm. can't really lift something that's at the same level that you are. You have to move above mm-hmm. that, beyond it. Again, that's not bypassing. It's not saying, well, this person didn't do those rotten things, you know, but it's seeing beyond the things and beyond the names you would call that person to the essence or the source, which is, again, that energy that is the one note played as all things. It doesn't mean they don't have a rotten personality or that you have to like them. It means you have to know who they are beyond what you've been led to label as or expect or decide, you know, through the personality or through the old history that we've been operating through collectively. You know, that's how I get it. And you, you've, you had some clairvoyant, you work with, you work with clairvoyance, right? I work, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of the ways that I access information. It's the first thing that opened up for me in my 20s. I started seeing lights around people and then, you know, these orbs would show up periodically. And that was with my eyes open and I was surprised. Now I know it was probably my third eye that was open, but I wouldn't have known that in those days. 
And now when I read, I access information visually and that's clair clairvoyance. So if I say, I see you with a redhead with freckles, you know, and you say, you know, that's who I'm seeing, you know, that's how that works. But mm. it's not my, the primary tool that I work with. Some of them, some of my best friends are, that's their primary tool is visual and they're wonderfully accurate. Mine is primarily auditory or hearing. I hear it's, I'm a clear audience, which uh -huh. is clear hearing. Clairvoyance is clear seeing, claircognizance, clear knowing, on and on. How would you uh, articulate time and space? Like, is it, is it, do you see it as a real thing? Is it something that, is there, is there some different awakening of consciousness where it's different than this kind of linear causal yeah. way yeah. that it's. Yeah. That's what I get. You know, I mean, when you move to what the guides call the infinite now, a lot of things happen that don't happen when we're sort of moored in this idea of linearity. I think it's how we're choosing to experience collectively a life, but I don't know that that's really what is happening in a larger way. The guides have taught a little bit about this, not much. I, I'm always anxious around these teachings. You know, I'm like somebody that flunked science, you know, when they get into stuff about time and space, I back off, but they usually are able to find a vocabulary that works. You know, the guides work with a vocabulary that seems somewhat moored in music. And they said, and they have said that they don't work with the vocabulary of science because it will be different in a hundred years. You know, it's always changing. It'll be outmoded. But music is when they talk about octaves and tone, that that's a constant. And I suppose that equates with math, but I flunked math too. So I'm probably not going to get that. Um, but they've described time to me as like a stack of plates, you know, like that. And that they're actually, you can experience them this way, you can experience them this way. And um, that's about all I know. There are, there are other people that, you know, take this subject on and that's where they go and bless them. To me, it's kind of like, you talk about being a playwright. It's kind of like story construction. It's like, you know, it's like this, we're, we're constructing these linear stories yeah. that or really the way I see it when I pray, it's really nothing more than a story that's been constructed. Sometimes they're collectively constructed by, mm -hmm. you know, billions of people, but yep. um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel any kind of real objective reality to this kind of linear time mm -hmm. um, thing. So it's. Oops. I just lost you. I'm, I'm, I think I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. There you are. Yeah. Um, I can hear you, so just keep. Okay. I'm just getting a call, but I'm, I'm still here. All right, I so see. keep going. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's it. I you know I understand that it's helpful to know what day of the week it is and what time it is so that we can show up for work. You know, I think that this it's a, they, the guides I, I work with call time a shared construct. You know, we the, the the days of the week are arbitrary. You know, all of this stuff. It's things we've chosen and we give power to. You know, I'm five hours behind most of my friends right now. You know, but you know, the clock says what it is, but we're in the same, we're, we're, we're speaking right now. It's yeah. probably about four o'clock for you. And so that's four o'clock for me. It must be like nine for you or something. Like yeah. That. Almost. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Do you see higher ways of communication happening? Like it, it, that's one of the things I'm getting. I mean, it's interesting because I, I feel like I channel in a certain way, but I don't, it's just these certain things come, come in that feel true. You know, that's all I can, yeah. the way I can explain it. Um, 
So it feels like we're using a language, we're using words and you know, or mm-hmm. we're typing things that it's very limited to where we can potentially go. I agree. Um, and I, I, I'm just getting this thing that what we, what we would call, what we would call telepathic communication, mm-hmm. or this this other way of communicating. And maybe, maybe oh. it's even how you are connecting with mm-hmm. the guides. It um, is. Yeah. That's what I, I consider it to be telepathic. It's not, you know, and when I work with people, that's often, you know, I'll tune into the person, I'll ask them what they need, and then I'll hear what they need. And that's how I proceed, you know. Um, and I think we do have capacity for this. I think we all do. And I think we we'll probably end up there collectively in time. You know, I'm, you know, in some ways, I come from a, a semi-traditional background. I, I went to college and grad school. I was a college professor. I'm now on the board of a college where I used to teach in Vermont. And, um, you know, when somebody sort of shows up and says, hey, this can be real, this can be so, you can have this own experience. It gives people permission. Somebody gave me permission. When I was about 30, I studied healing with this old, you know, Irish woman, you know, who was remarkable. And she did things I didn't think I would ever experience. And it showed me that it could be so. And it gave me permission to expand beyond my limited sense of what could be to, to something other. And that's you know, where I find myself now today after many years of, of continuing with this. So I think if it's there for me, it's there for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Are there things that you feel like are, are kind of cutting edge potentialities or like, you know, kind of powers, if you will, or, you know, gifts that are latent inside humanity that that are ready to come forth for people to access? I mean, I'm a big proponent of of what my guides call the divine spark or the monad or the, the light within, which I f- have found to be a very physical, real experience. I wish I could live in it all the time. It's unlike anything I've ever felt in my life. This warm pulsing at the heart center. It's just the connectivity to source. It's, it's astonishing. And I know that exists in everybody. That spark is in everybody. That's what I hear. And I think that spark is seeking to awaken. And that's when we find out who we are beyond our history, beyond what we think, beyond what our parents did to us, beyond all that stuff. So that's the most exciting thing for me. And I think that's always been there. You know, I just think we have to become willing to, uh, to accept our own potential to receive it. And it's that recognition that transforms us us socially, culturally, and politically and every other kind of a way, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like we kind of tend to look at it backwards. We try to fix these. I think that was the point you were making earlier is we try to try to work on these kind of external things without getting to the root, which is the root is kind of self-realization or awakening to who we really are, which would then allow these other things to like flower and blossom in a different kind of way. I agree. Yeah. So um, what are you doing right now that excites you? How can people connect to you? What's, what's interesting that you're. My website's just my name. It's, it's, you know, paulselig.com and there's information on workshops and there's all, all online these days, but I'm doing, um, I've been doing these five day intensives every month and they're all different. Um, These sort of immersion experiences with the guides. Um, So there's, you know, there's one in January, that information's up there. I do a live stream on Wednesday nights, which is available um, 
there'll be a new book out in August called The Kingdom. Um, and one came out last August called Alchemy. Um, and mostly I'm just, what I'm excited about, I'm excited about this new life that I seem to be getting here. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's pretty, it's for sure, mm -hmm. but it's very different. And, um, you know, I'm being challenged up, down and sideways, but I'm uh -huh. happy with the opportunity. It makes me think of, you said you're on Maui, right? Yeah. 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 Ram Das. he, he had the mm -hmm. last part of his, yeah. his life there. And, yep. uh, now he's no longer there and nope. now you're there. Well, I'm glad to be here. And the satsang around Ram Das have, or have been lovely to me since I've been here. We become friends and I'm going to be doing, I'm excited about this, a benefit for Hanuman Maui, which is the, you know, the little nonprofit that's based in, in based here. Um, you know, and that's going to be, I believe, in um, March. So there'll be information on that on my website as well. It's a special place. People are drawn here. I feel like I got, I got dumped here and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, but that's, but, that's how I feel you. I feel like you're, you're just, you, this is, I, this is how I, feel. I, I feel like you don't do a lot of, oh, let me think about this. And maybe, you know, I feel like you're kind of being guided by, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent, but yeah, that's kind of how I feel you. It's a different way of operating. You know, yeah. the guides say you're, you, the, the ideal is to move into a level of receptivity yeah. and not trying to tell, you know, they say God isn't or whatever, the universe isn't necessarily a, it, it's a, not a catalog. You know, I'm going to order this, 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 and this, and this, because we're already ordering off of the list. We're always ordering off the list of what we think we should have. And perhaps something better is available to us. I wouldn't have chosen this. I wouldn't have, I'd never been here. I wouldn't have known to come, you know? Mm. So I think we can, when we, when we allow and stop trying to control it all, I think we have a better, a better experience. Those are true words. Tell us about the, uh, the kingdom, that upcoming book. What is it about? You know, I haven't read it. I dictated it. It was crazy. <laughs> I, I just got the copy edited version. I've got to go through it and read it this week. I, it's the only book, and I hope I shouldn't be, I mean, I'm going to say it anyway. It's the only channel book where I didn't read any of it. I, it was transcribed. It was proofread against the recordings, and it was sent to the publisher. Now I have to read it. It was so immersive, you know, this experience of channeling. I just couldn't, I couldn't take any more. I couldn't go back. So now I get to go back and read it. So I hope it's good. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I hope so. But they're teaching about really the transposition of reality to a higher level of consciousness. That's what they're teaching. The guides say the kingdom is the awareness of the inherent divine in all things. They say you can't make anything holy. It already is, but you can deny the divine in anything you want. So it's the book about releasing the denial of the divine. Mm. Nice. Well, Paul, it's been a delight to share this time with you. Uh, I really appreciate it and appreciate the wisdom that you're sharing and that you're, you're giving to the world. And thank you for being a channel for the guides. Thank you for following your, your own intuition. And um, thanks for, for being here with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Brian.